Um, we're, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Uh, we're not going to obviously read all the verses, but if you have your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, you can open up there. Um, and most of the scriptures will be on the uh, overhead up here, PowerPoint. Imagine it's four years from now, excuse me, and you're getting ready to graduate from college, and actually you're getting ready to move. You found a new home somewhere, Kansas City or wherever, and, uh, but you don't have much to put in your home, and so you need some furniture and whatnot, and so your loved ones, say your grandparents or your great aunt and uncle, uh, excuse me, um, they, they send ahead of you to your new home all these UPS packages filled with lamps and, and chairs and, uh, and, and pictures and knickknacks and just several packages arrive at the house. They're unable to come and visit you at this time because you're living in another state, perhaps, and, and they're unable to make the trip. But a year from that day when you move in, you get the house all set, and then these folks come, and they want to visit you. And so they come, and they sit in your living room, and they're looking around, and strangely enough, they see none of the gifts that they sent to you. They're looking for the chairs. Or they can't find anything. And so as you step out to go to the store before supper uh, for a few moments, that they snoop around the house. They look down the hallways. They look in the bedrooms, and they can't find any of the presents. They go in the basement and they wander and they open up this random door, it's a closet door, and there are all the gifts still wrapped in their boxes, UPS, unopened. Well, how would they feel? You know, they loved you enough to share all these gifts with you, but you never opened them. Well, our Heavenly Father has given each one of us a gift, if not more than one gift, a spiritual gift that he determined in advance to give to us. And the moment we receive Christ, we receive this spiritual gift. But how often do we just leave it unwrapped or wrapped in a closet, unattended to, unutilized? Part of our uniqueness is determined by the spiritual gift that God has given to us at the moment of our salvation. And he says, you are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, utilizing your spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts that God gives to us can be found in three categories in Scripture. There are leadership gifts, prophecy, teaching, pastor, evangelist. There are sign gifts, and there are service gifts. How do we get these unique gifts? Well, as I mentioned, they come as a gift of grace. Nothing that we deserved but they were given to us by God himself and his spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 reads, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Verse 11, All these are the work of one, the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And that's why they're grace gifts. The word gift comes from charisma, charismata in Greek. For the same reason that we're given birthday gifts, because someone loves us, they want us to enjoy these and fill our lives with joy, well, our Heavenly Father gives us gifts. But not just for those reasons. I believe God gives us these gifts for three higher reasons, and Paul unpacks these reasons in 1 Corinthians 12-14. To serve others, to build the church, 
and to reveal Christ through our unity. That's our outline this morning. God gives us these gifts by his spirit to serve others. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. This word common good means for the health and well-being of others, to bless others. Peter says it this way. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Church consultant Win Earned, Win Earn, uh, he interviewed a thousand churches and he took surveys and he asked this one question. He said, What makes a healthy church? Or why does the church exist? That's the question. And 89% of those who took the survey in these thousand churches said, the church exists to serve my needs and serve my family's needs. The pastor is to keep the flock happy and prevent them from leaving the church. That's the pastor's job. Only 11% of those who responded said the purpose of the church is for others, to glorify God and to serve others. I think we make the same conclusion when we think of gifts. We think God gives us these beautiful gifts like a birthday gift so that we can be fulfilled and happy and we can, but really he gives us these gifts to glorify his name, but to serve others. 79,000 people don't pay $150 to $200 to go to the Kansas City Arrowhead Station, uh, Stadium to watch a football game for two and a half hours simply to observe the offense huddling up or the defense in a circle, talking amongst themselves. No, we pay $150 per ticket to, do, uh, to see what will transpire from the huddle, what difference the huddle will make. Will the play that's called in private work itself out well in public? And the challenge for the church is not that what we do as we gather in our huddle on Sunday mornings, but after we break huddle and to see if what we do in private will work itself out in our weekly assignment. We're given gifts in order to serve, serve Christ and serve others. Well, how do we serve, though? I mean, should we just look in the bulletin and say, oh, they need a nursery worker. I guess I ought to serve. The Bible says I got to serve. And I'd say not necessarily. If it's not your spiritual gift, then you won't be very effective or fulfilled working in the nursery if that's not what you're called to do, even if you're obedient. In order to discern what God is calling us to do specifically, we need to understand our shape. And the word shape is an acronym. We need to know our spiritual gift. We need to know our heart or our passions. We need to know our abilities. We need to know our personality. We need to know our experiences. Our personality would be something like, if I'm an introvert, then I probably wouldn't want to be a greeter on Sunday morning. I'd be miserable doing that. It would burn me out. I wouldn't be effective I remember a kid in youth group in Salina when I was a youth pastor. His very first words that he spoke when he first learned to walk was not mama or dada, it was Volkswagen. And he went on with his heart and his abilities as a little kid. He went on to become one of the leading salesmen for 
a dealership in Salina month after month. He gets these awards. And he cracks me up because he's always been about cars, but it's part of his passion, heart. It's a part of his ability and personality. It may not be a spiritual gift, but he uses this to serve others and glorify God. We've been given gifts to serve others. But we don't just serve because it's the right thing to do. We serve in order to, secondly, build up the body of Christ to maturity. We all put so much time and energy that we are physically strong and, and we eat right, and we exercise so that we can be phenomenal specimens of humanity. And our bodies are temporal on this earth, but yet we neglect the body of Christ, the spiritual body, his church, which is eternal. Chapter 14, verse 12. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done. Why? so that the church may be built up. But isn't that the pastor's job or, or the staff of the church? That's why we pay them, to do the ministry. Apostle Paul says not, that's not why you pay those on staff at a church. Ephesians 4, he says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. That's why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, become mature, attaining the fullness of Christ. There are few pastors, but there are hundreds of ministers here, and you're the ministers. That's what has made Countryside very effective and healthy for the past number of years that, that we've served here. This past week, I just brainstormed. Just, it took a minute just to jot down on a scrap piece of paper the ways I've seen you serving the body of Christ this week in our community and in our church. And these are all the ways that I thought of, that I've seen visibly, and that there's a boatload of people who are represented in these categories up front. I won't read them all. But we are all God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do, to build up the body of Christ. Now, pastors and leaders do have responsibilities, and, and there's nothing more frustrating than being told what God wants us to do, but, but not knowing exactly how that plays out. And so we are available to meet with you to help you discover your shape to help you discover and talk about your spiritual gifts, to help you assimilate or plug you in uh, to the body of Christ, which you're called to. And there are two ways that we'd begin. Um, and the first is uh, the shape test, or the spiritual gifts test first. And you could take that online, lifeway.com, or I think I have hard copies out here on the little table as you exit. Uh, you can download those and take about 10 minutes, and you can find out, these are my spiritual gifts? And, and you could take a shape personality test as well, looking at all those five areas to determine how God desires to use you. 
And guess what? You really want to do how you are wired, what you're wired to do. You want to do it. I don't have to convince you to do it. Once you discover it, you'll want to do it. It'll be your passion and joy in life to serve Christ. You'll find meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. It'll be life-giving for you. I don't have to convince you to eat your steak or eat this pizza that you love. I might have to convince you to eat your broccoli, but not your steak and pizza, because God has wired us internally to want to do how he created us to build up the body of Christ and then thirdly and finally to reveal Christ in our unity God has given us gifts that we may present him or represent him or reveal him to the world and he does so based on how they observe us as his body unified if you were to ask people what, different, um, what evidence of spiritual maturity is there for a church, what do you think they would say? What determines the spiritual maturity of a church? Gene Getz in his book, The Measure of the Church, did ask this question, and here's how many responded. They said a spiritually mature church is active, it's giving, it's growing, it's soul winning, it's uh, smooth running, it's a mission-minded church, a spirit-filled church, and it's a big church. But the Apostle Paul mentions that number one piece of evidence for a spiritually mature church is its unity. It functions as one body with many parts, Jesus being the head. It's united. John 13, Jesus said the same thing when he said, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples, by the way you love each other, by how you care for each other, how you invest in each other. That's how they will know, that's what will attract people to me, by your unity. And Jesus prayed uh, right before he was taken away to be crucified in his priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, uh, make my people, both my disciples and the people to come, make them all one, even as we are one, Lord. Unify them that they may know you. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul affirms this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then Jesus goes on to chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, which I've utilized for many a wedding in my day. The love chapter. But Paul didn't write this love chapter for weddings. He wrote it to a spiritually arrogant church, boasting about their many gifts, but yet how they really didn't need one another. They were lacking in love. And so Paul said, hey, your gifts in chapter 12 and 14 that I'm referring to, those are great things, but without love, smack dab in the middle like an Oreo cookie, without love, your gifts amount to nothing. Verse 13, chapter 13, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And you know what? 
that's really irritating. A church without love, a people without love, but only truth, that is really annoying to the world. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, then I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my, over my body to hardship that I may boast, look at me. But if I do not have love, I gain nothing. And like the believers in Corinth, we may have incredible gifts, like the supernatural healing powers of Elijah, or the prophetic boldness of Isaiah, or the mysterious language of God's angels, or the renowned wisdom of Solomon, or the visionary insight of Joseph, or the trusting faith of David, or Ruth. We may have all these supernatural gifts that are impressive and that are mind-blowing, but if we don't have love that accompanies them, if we don't care for one another with our gifts, then they are useless. Love isn't a feeling, Paul goes on to say. It's an attitude and it's a practice that is very tangible and noticeable because love is patient and kind. Love is faithful and gentle. It always seeks the best in others. And when everybody in the body of Christ in his church, when we practice our spiritual gifts in love, then unity will become so evident and it will be like one of those light, you know, one of those bug traps. You know, people come and, uh, that's not a good illustration. <laughs> I don't want to go back there again. No. That wasn't in my notes. Uh, that's why the devil spends, though, so much time trying to divide the church and sow discord and disunity in churches. You hear about it all the time, people warring with one another over things, silly things like, shall we wear masks or no masks? Oh, I'm a mask wearer. I'm not a mask wearer. Ugh. Open school? Shall we open school or shall we postpone it for an extra couple weeks till after Labor Day? Um, we argue, shall we have online church or shall we gather together in person? Um, shall we vote Democrat or shall we vote Republican? Um, shall we have sports this fall or shall we wait until the spring? And then we bicker and fight. Shall we um, be for Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter? And we fight and we war and we argue and ugh, it gets me so righteously angry because we're a horrible witness when we do that. And we, we, we sow discord among ourselves. You know what? I'm for Black Lives Matter. I'm for Blue Lives Matter. I'm for All Lives Matter. You know, if you have three intersecting circle, I'm right there in the middle. And I think we all can say, we can understand and respect each other. We need to focus, though, on what are the essential things in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. We, we need to be broken by the things that break the heart of Jesus. Philippians 4, 8 says, Whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Don't think about all the social media nonsense. Don't let them distract you from the Great Commission. People are dying all around you and going to a Christless eternity because we're so focused on arguing about whether we should wear masks or not. And we get angry and pound our... We can also fall into disunity 
when we buy into these common lies by our enemy. And Paul was dealing with this. You don't need me. You don't need, nobody will miss me in church. I'm not that important. I guess I'll just keep to myself. And Paul addresses that in verses 12 through, let's start in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Eyes are beautiful, I'm not. It would not be for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would the, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. In the parable of the talents, I won't get into this, but if you know the story, one guy was given one talent, one amount of money, another was given five talents, or another was given ten talents, or, and, and the one with the one talent said, man, man, they have so, so much more than I do. I think I'll, I don't know, I feel a little insecure about this. I'll just go bury it. I'll bury it, and, and I'll keep it, because I can't, I can't afford to lose my only one talent. So when the master comes back after giving them these talents, these two reproduced, doubled their talents, and then this one buried his talent, and he said, you wicked and lazy servant. What made you think you could bury your talent? And, and that's how, what we do with our gifts sometimes. We, I don't, I'm not needed. I don't, I just, what difference can I make? We could be tempted to think that, especially during this COVID crisis, well, who needs to connect to God's people in his church? I'll just stay home. I'll just read my Bible. It's me and God. I watch TV. I watch the televangelist. I listen to the radio. And maybe when this crisis ends, then I'll get involved again. But right now, for the next several months, years, I'm going to just take life easy. Listen, if you have a breath today, if God woke you up today, then he has an assignment for you today. Today. Not when COVID is over. Today. If you are at home watching online, then God has given you assignment today. And it may not be to come back into a sanctuary like this, and that's okay. But if you have a cell phone, if you have a pad and paper and an envelope and a stamp, if you have the internet, if you can pray, then God has given you assignment to build up the body of Christ today and every day. Every day. We ought to all be able to take out our bulletins and write down, this is how God used me yesterday in a very tangible way. This is how I could encourage someone, build up the body of Christ. This is how I could share Christ in a very tangible way. We ought to be able to do that every day because the Holy Spirit is doing that every day. Be very careful then how you live, Paul says, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. God's people shine brightest in the darkness, in a crisis. You're needed especially now more than ever. And that's when the body of Christ historically has raised to prominence during dark times they made a noticeable difference in the world. And then the other attitude is, 
I don't need you. You don't need me, but I don't need you. And this was the Corinthian attitude because of their supernatural gifts that God blessed them with. They said, hey, we're self-sufficient. I don't need you, but you need me because I am gifted. Look at how gifted I am. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you, you stinky little earth treaders. But I used to think this way when I was first in ministry. I used to think, man, I am, geez, I'm God's gift to youth. Look at me, I can play the guitar. I can play the drums. I can carry a tune. I can give a decent message. I can relate to students. I'm a pretty good athlete. I have a mustache. I'm able, and so I thought, man, I'm God's gift. And God said, uh, think twice about that soon. And then one summer, I went up to my student center, opened it up, and one girl showed up. It was me and one girl. And I thought, I'm not God's gift to youth ministry. God humbled me. And not only that, my youth leaders, one by one, came to me and said, you know what, John, I don't think I'm going to continue helping out this way. God's leading me in another direction. And I began to think, I was so frustrated. But I began to realize it was because I was doing everything and I didn't entrust anything to my youth leaders. I got the snacks, I led the games, I played the music, I I did the singing, I gave the message, I gave the altar call, I, I closed in prayer, I cleaned up, and I thought, hey, they're paying me to do this. Completely oblivious to how the body of Christ works. God humbled me. He humbles the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now I'm one of the most humble guys I know. (laughs) Paul reminded the arrogant church leaders in verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that seem to have less less honor we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while the presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. The hidden parts of our physical body are indispensable, right? I don't need my liver, that ugly little piece of meat. I don't need my kidneys. I don't need... My lungs are that ugly heart pumping back in, you know? I'm just going to take care of my eyes and my face and my hair, and then I'll be great. But you know what? Our beautiful eyes will care less, and our quafty hair could care less, and our, our flawless face will care less when, when we are lying flat on our back because our appendix burst. Sometimes we can overlook the less public gifts that God has blessed the body of Christ with, the behind-the-scenes people. But I think one day, when we all stand before God on the judgment seat of Christ on, on the day of rewards, I think one day we'll be really surprised at who gets honored. I'll conclude with verse 25. So then, there should be no division in the body of Christ but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You're indispensable. We're all needed in the body of Christ. So, I'll conclude where I began. If your great aunt or uncle gave you these gifts, if our Heavenly Father gave you these spiritual gifts, are we hiding them away in some closet somewhere? Do we even know what's in these gifts, in these boxes? Do we even, are we even aware of what our gifts are? And secondly, are we utilizing them or are we saving them for a better day? God wants us to use them now, today and every day. You are needed in the body of Christ. Let's pray. And so Jesus, I thank you for each and every person here and each and every person who's listening online. I thank you, Lord Jesus, how that you have declared that each one is indispensable in your body. You have chosen them as masterpieces. So I pray each one of us will discern what that means, how that plays out, Lord, as we pray about it, as we ask God, seek for godly counsel from others, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we will be faithful to do what you're calling us to do as ministers of the living, living and risen Lord. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.